Uh, we're, we're looking uh, at the second half of the uh, chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. As I mentioned uh, last week, chapter 4 is pivotal. The three chapters prior deal with the wealth that we have in Christ, and chapters 4 through to 6 uh, deal with the walk that we have in Christ. But just to emphasize again, particularly because of what we're dealing with this morning, the grace of God always comes first. We must know and experience the wealth of God's love towards us in Jesus Christ. We must know that before we begin any uh, attempt to become Christ-like. We always deal with receiving the gift of grace first, and then we say, in gratitude, how do we live our lives? So we're looking at this morning the subject of off with the old, on with the new. It would be a really good title for a New Year sermon, but, uh, well, anyway, we'll not deal with that. Change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. Have you ever been there? You've put your money in, you've trusted the machine, you're due 50p change, uh, from your bar of chocolate or whatever it happens to be, and the machine will not give it back. But you demand it. So you thump the machine, change, change. And you shake, catch it both sides, and you shake it, and you say, change, change. Well, maybe there's a wee bit of that going on today as God speaks to us through Ephesians 4, 17 through to 32. Really, when we look at life, it's changing so fast. We can't keep up with it. We're now talking about AI. AI is the best new word of 2023. I dispute that because I don't think it's a word. It's an abbreviation of two. But if anything, that tells us as AI comes in, change is even going to accelerate faster. We can't keep up with it. Then we look inside ourselves. Do you change as fast as you'd like to inside? I don't. If you think you're the only one that's struggling with the same sin year after year, you're not. We're all like that. If you think you're the only one struggling with the same fear and you just can't seem to get over it, you're not. However, today we're going to talk about how you can begin to cooperate with God in a way that dramatically changes the rate of change in your life. For years, perhaps, you've been thinking, if I could just try a little harder for God. Well, I've got news for you. The secret to change is not trying harder. The secret to change has to do with the verses we're going to study this morning from Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32. The principles that we find here are the principles for how change works in the believer's life. And the first thing that we've got to talk about is the fact that we're now different. 
And this again, as always, God doesn't look for change on us until we have grasped the gifts he has given us. And the first thing we've got to realize is that we are now different now that we live in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And just to show you how different we are, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of four things. Firstly, we're different in our mind. We think differently. Verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's talking about people who aren't believers, that reference to Gentiles. We must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. He's saying that those who don't know Christ live in the futility of thinking that there is a darkness of mind. As they think about life, there is no real purpose. That's what futility means. But as a believer, you have a real purpose, and that's the difference. When you become a believer, one of the first things you notice is that there's a change in your mind, that you have a compass that you didn't have before, and a goal and a direction to travel in. We're different. Secondly, we're different in our spirit. We relate differently to God. Verse 18, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Again, it's talking about the Gentiles, talking about the unbeliever, and he's saying they're separated from the life of God, which means that we aren't. We can be separated from the life of God, which is an unbeliever, or you can be a child of God in relationship to God. And that is pretty different. There are some people that have a wall between them and God and can't relate to God. And then there are those who, in coming to faith, are God's child. So that's the second thing. Thirdly, we're different in our hearts. We feel differently. Verse 18, it describes again the unbeliever. Due to the hardening of their hearts, it says. Where once you had a hard heart, now you have an open heart. Can you remember how easy it was for you to be stubborn? Can you remember when somebody pointed out a wrong in your life, it just made you angry? But now in Jesus Christ, there is a new willingness to say, yes, I was wrong, and I can be wrong. And let him begin to change your life. We're different. That's the basis of what Paul is saying here today. We're different now that we have come to faith. And fourthly, we're different in our souls. We commit differently. Verse 19, having lost all insensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a, continually, with a continual lust for more. And it's not hard 
to see how that description fits the world and society in which we live in today. It is a picture of life without Christ. Been given over to sensuality because that's the only pleasure that people know in life. That's the only happiness they can find. I read a definition of the word lust this week. Lust is the insatiable desire to have what we have no right to possess. Have you noticed, even as a believer, sometimes and especially before you were a believer, the thing you always wanted was the thing you couldn't have. You might have the best thing in the world, but you always wanted the thing you couldn't have. A continual lust for more is what Paul says here. So there's a difference, the before and after, before coming to faith and the after coming to faith, and there is a stark difference. There is a new perception, a new, a new outlook in life, a new mindset. It's all there. All the ingredients that you need for change are there. But how do we change? That's the second thing. How do we change? As we look at this picture before and after and say, that's not what I want in my life, and yet, probably saying, but I struggle with those things. Some of those things we're not supposed to be anymore. I sort of feel that way sometimes, if not a lot of times. We're involved in a process of change where Jesus Christ has taken us away from the before lifestyle and taking us into a new lifestyle and the question is, how do we get there? Well, I never thought God would take an illustration from the word of fashion to teach us about holiness. I just thought that anything to do with fashion was uh, incompatible. Chasing after the latest fashion to look good on the outside when what really God is concerned about is how we are in the inside. I said, God would never use an illustration from fashion to teach us about holiness. But then I got it. Bell bottoms. There's a picture of me about 17 years of age, and I'm wearing corduroy bell bottoms, Chelsea boots with a bit of a heel on them, a colorful paisley patterned shirt, finished off, and wait for this, finished off with a colorful cravat, <laughs> with a gold colored ring, holding it together. And the whole ensemble finished off with long hair hanging well over my ears. I mean, when did I ever think that looked good? <laughs> or an even worse question to have to ask myself, how long did it take me to realize that it didn't look good? That's it. That's what God is saying here. 
When did we ever think that falsehood, anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander were good things? And the answer is, in our old life. The life before Christ came into our lives and changed us. We can't look at that life anymore and see anything that is attractive in many of the attitudes and behaviors that we had. But instead of it being a fashion trend, the change in us is much more significant. It's a refashioned mind. Refashion means to remake something, and that's what God has begun in us. That's why Paul lists those four different things. Look, he says, God has begun to refashion you. And that is what Paul is saying here. We have a remade mind because we're willing to put off the old fashion because now we want a better way of living. But how do we actually go through this process of change? This is such an easy concept. It's as easy as remembering the last time you went to a clothes shop to buy something new and went into that little cubicle to make the change. It's called a changing room. And here's the changing room, Ephesians 4.22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Imagine if we said to the shop assistant, I'll just try this new jumper over the old one, or I'll just try this new dress over the old one. I'm trying to be inclusive here rather than suggesting a particular lifestyle I have, but the assistant would say to us, no, it's okay. We have a changing room. You can take off your old jumper. You can take off your old dress and put on the new one. And here's God's changing room. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us room to change? It's a voluntary process. We don't wake up to everything all at once that is going on in our lives that maybe is not God glorifying. And God says, I'll know when you're ready to take on the new mind when, and we say to God, well, God, when will you know this? And God says, when you are ready to take off the old life, when you see the old life for what it is, that it's a tarnished, moth-eaten, grubby coat that we chose because at one time it matched our inner thoughts. But now we know that while we live this old life, we cannot have our new mind because we give it no expression. In the same way as you don't put a new coat over an old coat, you need to coat, take the old coat off first. If I'm going to change, if you're going to change, 
We've got to understand this process of God's change in our lives. It's a two-step process. It's like going into a changing room of a department store to put off, to put on. Verse 24 of Ephesians 4. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the process. Put off your old self and put on the new self. And rather than explain this further, Paul gives us a demonstration of how it works. How you've got to put off the old to allow the new. And he gives us five illustrations. He says, put off falsehood, put off anger, put off stealing, put off unwholesome talk, get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. And here's how it works. And we'll go through this as quickly as we can. Put off falsehood, verse 25. When you're tempted to lie, recognize that as a red light. Put it off. See the new you. Put on the new. You'll see the details there in verse 25. Speak truthfully. Lying hurts relationships. You shouldn't lie in the family. You shouldn't lie in church. You shouldn't lie anywhere because it breaks down trust. Speak truth. Put off anger. A husband was being angry with his wife and the wife quotes this scripture and says, remember, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And the husband says back, how can I stop the sun going down? Put off anger. There's no point saying you're going to be this this kind, compassionate, loving, merciful, gracious person if you don't put off anger. Put it off. You've got to deal with the old life by putting it off. Put off stealing. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Verse 28. See the new way. Instead of trying to take what you do not own and take it from others, The question to ask is, how do you share with those in need? That's what it says in verse 28. Put off unwholesome talk. Verse 29, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Unwholesome talk is about talking bad about people, running people down. Put it off. How can you build people up? How can you witness of Jesus if what you're doing is pulling people down? That's what it says, put on, but only what is helpful for building up others that it might benefit those who listen. And then it says in verse 31, put off bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. None of that is Christ-like. Put it off. If you're going to change in your life, it's no good virtue signaling now and again by a kind little thought, and yet hold on to all these things, we've got to put them off. And it's not an exhaustive list. You'll be able to sit and make up your own list, the things that you know 
that are damaging your walk with God. Here's a few that I've added for myself. When I'm quitting being productive before nine o'clock in the evening, when I'm not thinking of bed at 11 o'clock in the evening, when I'm rushed to find time to pray, when S and I don't get time together each week, when I lose my appetite for reading, and when I interrupt a person talking to me. Those are things that I drew as a little list to say, David, you've got to put those off. But what's your list? What's your list? As you look into your heart, what do you know are those things that keep creeping up again and again? They have become channels uh, channels of behavior. It's the go-to way for you to react to certain situations, and you know them to be wrong. Essie was teaching me about neuroplasticity the other day, and I said to her, hang on, I'm a theologian. I know all the big words. What's neuroplasticity? And, and apparently, uh, it, it's the mind's ability to get out of those channels that we put ourselves into, those ruts that our minds go to that, that are not good for us, that we can retrain our mind to leave those aside. That, that's what alcoholics have to do. That's what addicts have to do. But we are addicted to many, many kinds of things, and many of them fall into ruts of behavior that are not good for us and are not good for the people around us and they're not God-glorifying. And God says to us this morning, put them off. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, it's not the understanding of your word this morning, it is the obeying of it. Give us through your Holy Spirit the strength so to do. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.